you can learn a lot about people by how they treat others. There are a lot of different ways that we can treat people. We can treat people with neglect. When we treat people with neglect, we basically act as if they don't exist. Make all of our plans without even considering other people and their needs because all that matters is us and what we want. We can treat people with contempt. When we treat people with contempt, we act as though they're not worthy of our respect. The main reason we treat people with contempt is that we feel we're better than they are. While there are any number of reasons that may make us feel superior to them, the result is always the same. We treat them with contempt. We can treat people as a nuisance. When we treat people as a nuisance, we tend to act as though their very existence is bothersome to us. We view everything about them like fingernails on a chalkboard. It doesn't matter what they do, they're going to get on our nerves. We can treat people as enemies. When we treat people as enemies, we oppose anything they say and anything they do. We almost act as if their every action and word is a personal shot against us. When we treat people as our enemies, we are often angered by virtually everything they do because we interpret their every action in the worst possible way. Or we can treat people with love. When we treat people with love, we're careful not to be neglectful of them and their needs. When we treat people with love, we never want to make them feel inferior to us. When we treat people with love, we're not annoyed by their existence. When we treat people with love, we give them the benefit of the doubt and we don't instantly assume that they're taking personal shots against us. Now, which of these best describes the way that we treat those around us? What does the way that we treat people say about us? As followers of Jesus Christ, an important question for us to answer is, how should we treat people? Our faith in Jesus, it should affect every area of our lives and every relationship in our lives. Our relationship to Jesus should dictate how we treat other people. Today we're going to look and see what the Bible says, believers in Jesus Christ, how they should treat other people. Open your Bible to James chapter 2, verse 1. Page 931, if you have a pew Bible, when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. James says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, do you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in this good place, and to the poor man, You stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drive you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
title of the message this morning is Fulfilling the Royal Law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you, God, for an opportunity to gather and to study your word. Father, we need you to send your Holy Spirit to come and help us to be focused upon you in this time. To make our hearts open and receptive to your word. To give us ears to hear. Father, we want to be changed and transformed in the people you want us to be. We want to live in a way that glorifies you in every way and every day of our lives. So today, help us at this time to lay aside the cares of life. Help us to let your word challenge us, to let your word change us. And let us go out this week and live the difference. Let people be able to see Jesus in our actions, in our attitudes, our values, and our priorities. Fill me this morning with your Holy Spirit and give me a clarity of thought and clarity of speech to speak your words and your ways for your glory. Help us to go out this week and to live your word out in such a way that people can see Christ in us. We ask this in his blessed name. Amen. You may be seated. In this chapter, James argues against prejudice and for the necessity of good works. Both impartiality and good works have the same motivation, our faith in Jesus. Those who genuinely have faith in Jesus treat people impartially and they are active in their service to Jesus. Verse 1 is kind of the key to this passage. He says, My brethren, do not hold faith, hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. We notice he starts out with my brethren. He addresses my beloved brethren later on. The idea is James is addressing believers. He is teaching them how they are to live out their faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this passage is for you and it teaches you how to deal with other people. At the end of verse 1 in the New King James, it says with partiality. The NIV says don't show favoritism. Favoritism, as it's meant here, is similar to prejudice. With favoritism, you like one group more than another. With prejudice, you dislike one group more than another. As it's used here, favoritism means more than I like my wife, more than I like you. It would be better, more accurate to say, the group I like better, I treat better. The group I like less, I treat worse. James gives an illustration of this in verses 2 and 3. If there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man with filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You sit there or sit at my footstool. Right? Favoritism. I like the rich better, so I treat them better. I like the poor less, so I treat them worse. You could replace rich and poor with any number of other things. You could replace it with black and white. You could replace it with Democrat and Republican. You could replace it with English speakers and non-English speakers. You could replace it with men and women. You could replace it with homosexuals and heterosexuals. With Muslims and Jews. With Americans and really any other nationality. There is virtually no limit to the ways this can be lived out. In our lives, with partiality or favoritism or prejudice, we say, I like this group better, so I treat them different and I treat them better. I like this group less, so I treat them different and I treat them worse. Now, James is a very plain spoken guy. And in verse four, he says some hard words about this that are important for us to understand. He says, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Right, the sort of favoritism described in verses 2 and 3 
When we have that, it shows that we have set ourselves up as judges. We have determined who is good and who is bad. We have determined who is worthy and who is unworthy. And James says that these, this sort of judgment, it originates with evil thoughts. The New Living Translation says it originates with evil motives. Right? The word evil here is important for us to get. Right? Not a character flaw. Right? Not the way I was raised. Evil motives, evil thoughts. The sort of favoritism or prejudice shown here, it is evil. And it flows from evil thoughts and with evil motives. The sort of prejudice described in verses 2 and 3 is exactly the opposite of the way believers in Jesus Christ are supposed to live. We are not to hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. So how are we to live? Verses 8 through 13, they show us the way that we're supposed to live among the people of the world. And the central truth we see in this passage is that faith in Jesus, it leads me to fulfill the law of Jesus, the law of love. Faith in Jesus leads me to fulfill the law of Jesus, which is the law of love. Faith in Jesus does more than change our eternal destiny. It changes the way that we live and act and interact with the people of this world. It's huge for us to get. When we truly believe in Jesus, we are a different person because of that. And this passage teaches us three ways that we are to fulfill the law of Jesus. The first is to genuinely Love others. Jesus was once asked by a religious leader, what is the most important law, commandment in the law? If you're familiar, Jesus said the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And Jesus didn't stop with just one commandment. He said there's a second law that is similar to it. And then he quoted Matthew 19, or I'm sorry, Leviticus 19 and 18, just as James did here in verse 8. Shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Equal, similar to loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength is loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. James says if we fulfill that royal law, we do a good thing. We do a right thing. Now, Jesus' statement was probably quite a shock to the religious leaders of the day. Loving others was not too high on their to-do list. They were so filled with pride and with self-righteousness, there was not room for loving others. After all, they were better than most people. They, they appeared better, and they were really, in all actuality, just a bunch of hypocrites. Now, don't get me wrong. The religious leaders, they did good things. They did what we might consider acts of kindness for others. They, they helped the poor. They, they helped the people that were needy. And they especially did this if somebody watched. Right? If, if they could get some credit for it and if they could do it in a way that others would see and say, Oh, look at how generous they are. They were certainly willing to do that. The problem was that they did not love people. It wasn't that they didn't help and they didn't do. It's that they didn't do it because they loved them and because they, they cared about them. And it's easy for us to get down on the religious leaders of Jesus' day and to think how awful they were. But honestly, if we were to, to be sincere and just 
brutally honest. Are we that different from them? I mean, if someone has a help, has a need, we'll do what we can to help them. But do we truly love them? Do we love our neighbors as you love yourself? Do we really do that? I mean, that's, that's, an, that's a huge, huge issue. Because, I don't know about you, I like me. I'm fond of me. I'm fond of my preferences. I'm fond of my comfort. I'm fond of the way I am. And to love someone else, as much as I love this person that I see in the mirror, that is a huge, huge task. But if we are going to fulfill the royal law because of our faith in Jesus, this is what we must do. And if we are going to genuinely love people and not show partiality, then what we must do is we must treat people equally. Right? I cannot treat one group of people better than another. I cannot treat people different based upon my prejudices. I have to treat people Equally. So what does it look like to treat people equally? I would say at a bare minimum it means this. Therefore, whatever you do, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We know this is the golden rule. Do unto others, should have them to do unto you. But what does it mean to do to others as you have them to do to us? There are a lot of ways that this would apply, but the main one I want us to think about today is in how we make judgments about other people. You know, it's easy to look at someone and make a determination about who they are and what they're like based upon the color of their skin, based upon their sexuality, based upon their religion, based upon their political affiliation. Based upon any number of issues, we look at them and we interpret them by the worst of the sort of whatever they are and say they are just like that. All of those people are just like that. Now let me ask you something. Do you, do you want to be judged based off of those characteristics? You know, when I got to Berlin... They set me up with a, uh, a guy, and he was like my, uh, I don't know what we called him. I can't remember what the exact name was. But his job was to help me to go and process into the, the Berlin Army. So he took me to the hospital to take my medical records, and he took me to the bank to get a uh, bank account set up, and he took me to finance to get my direct deposit set up. And he, that's, that was his job. And he was from Arkansas. And he was a, an African-American guy. And we got along fine until we found out I was from Oklahoma. And then he had a problem and he wouldn't talk to me. And he was almost rude to me. And then going on, I was able to kind of find out what happened. He was from the part of Arkansas that's closest to the Oklahoma border. And the town closest to him in Oklahoma had a sign that made it clear people of color were not welcome in that town, and it would be best for them if they were not caught there after dark. And that was the only town in Oklahoma he had ever been in. And as far as he knew, everybody in Oklahoma was just like that. 
I'd never been to that town in Oklahoma. I'd heard about it. But it certainly wasn't just like that. I didn't want to be in, be him to view me in light of those people. Or, or think about it. We're, we're the Baptist church today. How many of you have heard the Westboro Baptist Church? Right? They, they picket soldiers' funerals. God killed them because God hates fags. Right? That's, their, that's their thing. That's, that's all they do. That's all they do. They don't preach the gospel. They don't help people. They just go around and say hateful, horrible, vulgar things to people. And do you know that there are people in the world that will hear that you go to a Baptist church and they will say, oh, so you're like the dudes from Topeka. You're like the Westboro Baptist folks, right? Now, I don't know about you, but just because I'm a Baptist, I don't want people to assume I'm like them. The reality is, I don't want people to look at anybody else in the world and then say, that's how Stacy Ross is. I want them to determine who I am and how I am based off of who I am and how I am. And if that's really what I want others to do to me, then that's the way I have to treat them. Then that's the way I have to evaluate them. And I'm guessing, I'm just guessing, you don't want anyone to evaluate you and make decisions about you based off of anything but who you are and what you're like. You don't want gross generalizations made about your faith. You don't want people to determine who you are and how you act and what you believe based off of the way other people act. And if you don't, then you have to treat others in the exact same way. You have to be willing to treat all people equally, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their religion, regardless of their sexuality, regardless of their political affiliation. You have to say, I'm going to treat them the way I want to be treated, and I'll make decisions on them based upon who they are, how they are, not the way anyone else in the world is. It is supremely hypocritical to say, don't judge me based on others, but I'm certainly going to judge you based on others. When I love people, I will treat them the way I want to be treated. And that is fulfilling the law of Christ. Secondly, we want to genuinely love others, but secondly, reject the sin of prejudice. And write sin in big letters, underline it, circle it, highlight it, make sure that it stands out. Prejudice has long been an acceptable sin within the American church culture. Stories abound of churches and Christians justifying racism and prejudice of all kinds. And it's explained away. It's just the way I was raised. It's who I am. This is just how I was raised. I was raised to believe this about those people. Or it's just the way I feel. Hey, I can't help how I feel, man. It's just the way I feel about the situation. It's the way I feel about those people. Someone's a bit older, it's often explained that they're prejudiced because they're from a, another generation. Just everybody in that generation believed like that, and that's just the way they felt about 
those people. Regardless of the the justification, the result is always that, that our prejudice, it's not really our fault. And it's not that big of a deal anyway. But James has a different take on this subject in verses 9 through 11. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. Just think about that. Let that settle in. In his usual plain spoken way, James says that prejudice is a sin. But he explains how serious it is. If you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted of the law as a transgressor. Right? So it's not, you know, a minor sin. You, you are guilty of violating God's law and God's standards. And knowing man's ability and man's desire to, to justify and to minimize our sin, James explains further. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Right? So, again, let that settle in. God's law doesn't grade on a percentage scale. God's law is pass or fail. You either keep it all and get a hundred, or you get a ninety, or you fail. That's it. So James says, if this is the only thing you do wrong, if the only thing you do wrong in all of your life is that you are prejudiced, you are still guilty of breaking the whole law, and you stand condemned before God, just as though you had committed adultery, or murder, or some other big sin. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. Our prejudices, they are sin. They are not character flaws. They aren't the way we were raised. They aren't the way we think or the way we feel. They they are not justifiable In any way. They are plainly sin. They are evil. The eyes of the Lord. Just as much as adultery, lying, or stealing. The sin of prejudice has the same result of any other sin. It separates us from God. And it leaves us guilty in the courts of heaven. So the question is. Often as this has been an acceptable sin, not seen as that big of a deal, why is it a sin in that big of a deal? Because all people are made in the image of God. When you read the Genesis account of creation, we're told that God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image and in the image Of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. As evangelical Christians, we have rightly emphasized the sanctity and value of life. The American evangelical church stands consistently against abortion 
Because an unborn child has value. Their life is significant. They are made in the image of God. That is absolutely true. But it is not just the unborn who have value. And it is not just the unborn who are made in the image of God. All people have value. All people are made in the image of God. This is true regardless of their skin color. This is true regardless of their political affiliation. This is true regardless of their religion. This is true regardless of their sexuality, nationality, or any other worldly division we want to place. It is beyond hypocritical for us to stand against abortion and yet be prejudiced against someone because of the color of their skin, their religion, their sexuality, or any other issue. All people are made in the image of God. All people have value. And prejudice against someone is a sin because God has made them in His image. Secondly, all people are equal in God's eyes. God does not have the same sort of prejudices that we do. Paul said there is no partiality with God. Again, we want to let that weigh in on us. There is no partiality with God. God does not favor one group over another. He doesn't favor Americans over other nationalities. He doesn't favor people who are homosexual over heterosexual. All people are valuable to God. God does not show the same sort of partiality and prejudice that we do. In all of the, the ways that we divide up, the Bible says these divisions shouldn't even exist for people who are part of the kingdom. Right? We've put on the new man, so we've been born again, we're a new people, we're being renewed in the knowledge according to Him who has created us. And in this new life, and in this kingdom that God is creating, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. The the sort of divisions that we want to build, that our culture tells us to build, are often racial divisions, right? Paul talks about that when he talks about the Jews and the Greeks. Now, in our day, it's not so much Jews and Greeks, as much as it is black or white, Hispanic and Asian. But Paul says that in the kingdom of God, those, those divisions, those barriers, they're not real. They shouldn't actually be there. There's cultural barriers. Paul used the example of barbarian and uncivilized peoples. Now, the Greeks and the Romans, they considered anyone who could not speak Greek to be an uncivilized barbarian. They also considered anyone who was unfamiliar with Greek culture, was from another culture, or who did not acknowledge the superiority of Greek culture to be an uncivilized barbarian. Does any of that sound familiar? Paul said... In the kingdom of God, these cultural barriers should not exist. Economic or social barriers. He talks about slave and free. And while slave and free is not much of an issue, there's still economic and social barriers that that often exist in the church. But Paul says that in the kingdom of God, 
It shouldn't. And these barriers aren't supposed to exist because Christ is all and in all. See, what's supposed to matter to us is who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. In all honesty, from what I can understand in Scripture, the only way we are to really evaluate people is, have they received Jesus or do they need Jesus? And that's not supposed to matter with these other barriers. It doesn't matter and nothing else matters. Do they know Jesus or do they need Jesus? It's in the kingdom of God. All of the worldly barriers, they, they just, they don't matter. They're not real. And we're supposed to ignore them and treat all people the same because all people are equal in God's eyes. And then finally, God wants all people to be saved. One of the great truths of Scripture that God loved the world. And He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now, when we see world, we need to understand that that includes all people. Regardless of their color, Regardless of their nationality, regardless of their sexuality, regardless of their religion. Jesus died for the Muslims, just like he died for anyone else. Jesus died for the Mexicans, just like he died for the Americans. He died for the homosexual, just like he died for the heterosexual. At no point in life will you look at someone... And that not be someone for whom Jesus died. That not be someone that God loves and wants to see saved. And while God wants all people to be saved, salvation is only found through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the thing. That's what matters. Do they know Jesus or do they need Jesus? Jesus came that they would hear about Him, they would believe in Him, and they would call on Him and be saved by Him. He he died. For all people, regardless of the false divisions and barriers that our cultures raise up. And he came not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. His life was given as a ransom for others. He died so that we might live. He paid the penalty that our sins deserve, but not... Not just ours, but for the world. He died for the sin of homosexuality. He died for the sin of idolatry seen through Islam and other false religions. He died for the idolatry seen in political worship. He died for people of all colors and all nationalities and all things else that we might say this divides us. And Jesus wants them to be saved as much as he wanted you and I to be saved. We are not more significant than anyone else. Jesus came so that they may have life. And that life is found in his name as well. And when we set up prejudices and we say those people. 
we build a barrier to keep them from what God wants for their life. He wants them to be saved. What do you suppose God will say to us on Judgment Day when our prejudices have kept people from His house and our prejudices have kept people from His Son? Do you suppose God will say, Well done, thou good and prejudiced servant? Or do you suppose He will say something else to us for our wickedness and our prejudice? Actually, we have the answer to that because that brings us to our third point. We need to genuinely love others. We must reject the sin of prejudice. And then we must expect to be accountable. James says, because of this, so speak and so do. It's those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He said that we are to live out our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ without partiality. With an eye to the fact that we will be judged. With an eye to the fact that we will stand before the Lord and give an account for our lives. And what he says in verse 13 is really interesting. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Now, given the context of what he's talking about here, what do you suppose the, those who have shown no mercy is? Wouldn't you suppose that those who have shown no mercy are those who are prejudiced? Those who have lived with partiality in their lives, those who have favored one group over another, treated other groups badly and different because they were different? According to James, those who live without mercy, show no mercy, which is what prejudice is, they themselves will be shown no mercy on Judgment Day. Now, I don't know about you, but the thought of standing before a merciless God on Judgment Day is a mighty terrifying thought. So I, want to wonder, I wanted to know, what does it mean? I mean... What does it mean if I don't show mercy? If I am partial, if I am prejudiced, I will be face a God without mercy on Judgment Day. And I did some studying and I found that while the wording of partiality, show no mercy, is unique to James, the idea that the way we act will determine our judgment isn't. Right? For instance, Jesus said this. He said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. But notice this last sentence. For by your words you will be justified. By your words you will be condemned. On Judgment Day, things we've said will matter. We'll give an account for the, the words we've spoken. And according to Jesus in this passage, He will look at our words, and based on what we have said, 
it will determine whether we experience salvation or damnation. Based on the content of our speech. That's very similar to what James is saying here. But this isn't the only place we see this. And, and we don't have time to look at this whole passage, but take some time and read it. But this is Matthew 25. Jesus is talking about the, when the end comes and the day of judgment comes and he will separate the sheep from the goats. And if you're familiar with the passage, this is the one where Jesus says that he will say to one group, to the sheep, he will say, enter into the kingdom. Because as, as much as you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And then he will say to another group, depart from me into everlasting fire. For as much as you did not do it unto the least of these, you, you did not do it to me. So in, in Matthew 25, Jesus says that judgment day, salvation and damnation will be judged off of the acts of compassion that we have done for others. Those who have been compassionate to those in need will be told welcome and enter into the joy of your Lord. Those that were not compassionate will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, very similar to what James says. So the question we have to ask ourselves, do these passages teach us a salvation by works? Am I going to be saved because I am impartial and unprejudiced? Am I going to be saved because I say all the right things? Am I going to be saved because I'm a compassionate person to, to help people in need? Well, we have to always interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. And since Scripture doesn't contradict Scripture, that can't be the case. Instead, what we should see these passages as saying is that Jesus changes us. Jesus makes a radical change in our lives. He makes such a drastic change in our lives. right? Not just our eternal destination. But He changes us at the core of our being and who we are and how we act. To such an extent that someone could listen to what we say. And they could watch the things that we say and by our words it would testify. Jesus Christ is Lord over our lives and has changed me completely. That Jesus has made such a change in our lives that as we go through our day and as we help people in need, people will see the compassionate Christ through us. That Jesus has made such a dramatic change in our lives that we don't let the world build barriers and prejudices in how we treat others. That we... We care for people as Jesus cared for them. That as Jesus is impartial, we too are impartial. Jesus changes us completely. And that change is seen. It's evident in our lives. To such an extent that our words, compassion, Treatment of others testify that we have been born again. Jesus is Lord over our lives. Make no mistake, Jesus changes us. And where there is no change, there is no Jesus. Let's stand as our musicians come forward.